Hey folks, Andy Patton here, joined today by the great Ken Pomeroy. Ken and I are going to discuss this year's Gonzaga team, the performance of the WCC, and of course, the enigma that is Chet Holmgren, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I am thrilled to be joined today by one of the pioneers of college basketball analytics, creator of KenPom.com. That is, of course, Ken Pomeroy. Ken, Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy March schedule to come on the show and chat with me. Yeah, no problem, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, Ken, before we get into talking about the Zags and talking about the WCC, which I'm super excited to get into, I really just kind of want to hear a little bit about how you got into this field, how Ken Palm became what I imagine just started as an idea in your head and has now, of course, become one of the premier sites for college basketball analytics and an often cited source for looking at teams' resumes, kind of what, take me through how we got from, from where it started to where it is now. Yeah, it started, you know, 20 years ago and I was just kind of dabbling in, uh, you know, advanced basketball stats that mm -hmm. uh, guys like Dean Oliver and John Hollinger uh, pioneered and mm -hmm. uh, kind of put a very crude website together that, uh, you know, had a few dozen followers mm -hmm. initially. But, um, you know, over time, like things kind of spread by word of mouth and, Mm -hmm. you know, media started citing it and coaches started using it. And, uh, you know, year after year, just kind of gained a little bit more traction. And, uh, you know, that's kind of kind of how we got to the to the point today. You know, it wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. one moment, but just kind of a gradual, uh, gradual increase in, uh, in visibility. I love the idea in my head. And, and <laughs> maybe this is just because my brain is always programmed to think about Gonzaga, but started 20 years ago, was pretty small, not super well talked about, and has grown into this very, very popular, often cited site. It seems <laughs> like you have taken a similar trajectory to Mark Few and his program at Gonzaga. I'm curious uh, what I, I imagine it maybe didn't expect it to be what it has become, but were there any kind of roadblocks or any significant hurdles between where you started and where you got now? Or has this kind of been something that as the industry and as people have become more interested in diving deeper into sports analytics in general, not just in college basketball, you know, it's been a huge movement in baseball and other sports as well. Has that kind of just coincided with this growth or, or do you feel like uh, you just kind of timed it right? Or, or how did that kind of come together? Yeah, I mean, there's no question I timed it right. Like mm -hmm. somebody else said, you know, it, it was all about timing, right? Like there was nothing going on in college basketball analytics in the early mm -hmm. 2000s. And so um, the fact that, you know, when I, you know, first started reading, you know, the basketball side of things with, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, John Hollinger and, and Dean Oliver, you know, I looked, mm -hmm. uh, I thought somebody was already doing college basketball and I looked around for it. And like, this was before, you know, you had Google or, mm -hmm. or Twitter. So sometimes you, you know, just because you couldn't find something on the internet didn't mean it didn't exist. And I just assumed right. it was out there and I couldn't find it. And uh, so it probably took me about, you know, six months to decide to, to do it on my own because, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's nobody out there doing it. So yeah, it was certainly, it was all about timing. There were a lot of people that were, you know, really had a, had an interest in this kind of thing. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was just fortunate enough to, to be the first to do it. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to ask, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more into the WCC specifically and kind of their their hold in this conversation, but ranking 350 plus college basketball teams when the schedules that they play are so different. And the, I mean, obviously there's dramatic differences between a program like Duke or Kentucky, or even, you know, power five schools like Washington and Oregon, or, you know, your Chicago States and your Dixie States and schools like that. And, and how do you, you know, obviously, you know, you've, developed a really strong system that helps rank these teams compared to one another, even when they have not played each other and they may never play each other. But how, what are the, the significant challenges of really putting together a, a comprehensive list that you think does the best to capture how good these teams really are, uh, even when they're playing such different schedules and have such a different amount of resources uh, at each program? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's a huge challenge to rate, you know, to rate teams that kind of dominate their leagues basically right um, yeah so you know whether it's gonzaga or, or murray state this year or mm-hmm. chicago last year um those are the big challenges it's pretty easy to rate teams that are you know playing you know similar competition to themselves like right. almost any rating method is going to spit out very similar answers but mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's definitely more of a challenge for for these teams that, that dominate their leagues and uh people you know i think the, the main thing to understand is that like you know, you look at my rating system or anybody's rating system, there's like pretty large error bars surrounding the team's right. rating. Like people, you know, they get hung up over whether a team's like fifth or eighth. And like, mm-hmm. there's no rating system in the world that's going to like definitively tell you the difference between that. Like fifth right. and eighth are basically in the same neighborhood, you know? So, right. um, so, you know, I think sometimes people read in too much to, you know, how accurate these rankings are. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're really good, but, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're nowhere close to distinguishing, you know, these really small differences between teams. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, Gonzaga obviously is in such a unique spot as a program that has dominated their conference for decades. And you, you wrote an excellent piece at KSL.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes for any Gonzaga fans who have not read it yet. Uh, but one of the things that you talked about that I thought was a really important note that a lot of people who, uh, even people who have followed college basketball closely, maybe have a hard time differentiating is there's kind of, there's kind of two Gonzagas. There's the Gonzaga early in Mark Few's tenure. Uh, I mean, for the first 12, 15 really years, I think they didn't get a number one ranking until 2012. And then they didn't get another one until 2016. And since then, you know, they've been very consistently in that conversation. But that previous Gonzaga, they still won the WCC a lot most of the time, but they did not dominate it the way that they have lately. And this article really kind of touches on the difference between winning the WCC in like 2008 and dominating the WCC they have now. And I'm kind of hoping you could talk a little bit about the deep dive that you did and kind of what what your research came up with and, and the differences between these kind of two Gonzagas. Yeah, yeah. I think people just kind of assume it's like one long era, but really like the last six years have been um, on another level from mm-hmm. what happened before it, you know, they, I mean, there's a pretty strong case. They've been the best program in college basketball over that time. People, you yeah. know, get hung up on the, you know, lack of championship or something like that. But, you know, that's just partly the the nature of the NCAA tournament. Um, sure. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you look at, you know, margin of victory in the WCC and like, you know, what they've done the last six years, you know, four of those six years, I think, you know, have been, you know, the biggest margin of victory numbers that we've seen in the last 25 years in any league. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, is not terribly surprising, but the point is like Gonzaga really wasn't doing that before Mm -hmm. 2017, you know, they were dominating the the league most years, but they weren't, you know, they were still susceptible to close games against weaker competition. And Mm -hmm. now that's just not the case. And then obviously the other thing was, you know, how they were faring against 
power conference teams. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, that's take aside all like the, the difficulties in rating them with a power rating. Like you just mm-hmm. look at their record against power conference teams over the last six years, you know, 39 and 11, you know, it's a better winning percentage than any other team um, has in the country. And mm-hmm. even if you just look at non-conference games, uh, only Baylor has a better right. uh, winning percentage against power five teams. And Gonzaga's played a more difficult schedule than Baylor has in those games. So mm-hmm. equal home and road has been primarily against the best teams in the league and still are winning mm-hmm. 78% of their games. So like, you know, it, it, you know, there's obviously fans of power conference teams that have trouble like processing that for some reason, they feel like it's a, a threat to just acknowledge it. Like, yeah, Gonzaga's on your level. Like <laughs> truly, you know, they're on the level of any blue blood right now. I and mean, that's just, the, that's just a fact, no matter how you slice the numbers. Yeah, I think calling it a threat is the is the right way because it has been so baffling to me as somebody who you know followed Gonzaga very closely since the mid two thousands when I you know when I went to college and seeing their growth, it seems like the kind of story that people love. This kind of story, this small team that kind of grew into this absolute powerhouse, and in reality, the reaction from a lot of people is very much the opposite of loving this story. It is a lot of vitriol and a lot of. kind of trying to push it aside, trying to act like it's not genuine, like it doesn't count. They have to win first. And I mean, in my mind, going undefeated and then running into a Baylor team that in my mind is one of the 15 best teams we've seen in the last decade. That was a really, really good Baylor team. There's no shame in losing to them. Uh, And for me, I just Gonzaga's record in power five games, like you mentioned, is phenomenal. 39 and 11. And I think one of the points that you brought up that really resonated with me, and I I hope people kind of remember is they're not playing, you know, like this year's Georgia team, like they're playing good power five schools. Most of the time they're playing top, they're playing ranked teams or borderline ranked teams. Yes. They have those matchups against UW, which haven't been very productive for them uh, in terms of strength of schedule recently. And that's part of the reason they cut Washington state off their schedule a few years ago, although adding them back now might not be such a bad idea, but I'm curious for you, like seeing the way that people have reacted to the story, is it surprising to you? Is it just a, a situation of, of power five people feeling a little bit, for lack of a better word, huffy about the power five conferences or, or, or what is it about Gonzaga that seems to spawn a lot of emotional reaction? I, I don't know. I didn't like the reaction to the article didn't surprise me because it's, you know, mm-hmm. found that kind of reaction yeah. before. Like it's kind of a fun way to troll people on Twitter is to bring up everything, you know, because inevitably people say, well, they're playing in a bad conference and like, Mm -hmm. actually, isn't that, isn't that bad? I, you know, I should uh, clarify here. I keep, you know, I keep saying power five and you keep saying it really like power six. I'm looking at the top six power conferences and it includes the big East obviously, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, the reaction wasn't unexpected and people complain about how weak the conference is, but Mm -hmm. isn't like that weak. And furthermore, like recently, you know, with the, 16 game schedule, like Gonzaga is basically like eliminated like two of the games against weaker teams. Mm-hmm. So actually their conference schedule is a little bit tougher than the, yeah. the average, uh, uh, strength of the conference anyway. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it's not unexpected and it will uh, continue. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it will stop if Gonzaga wins a national title this year. I'm not even convinced that would do it. Like no. people will still complain that, you know, oh, they had an easy road or they got an undeserved one seat or something like that. Like it's, mm-hmm. you just have to accept that it's a, uh, there's a certain, there's a certain uh, segment of the college basketball fan base that is going to act uh, very irrationally about the situation. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, they obviously came very close to winning it not only last year but in 2016 as well. And I, the 2016, if they had won it in that season, I, I'm very curious what the reaction would have been because they did 
they were fortunate in the way that some of the seeding broke down. They got some, they, they got to play some teams that weren't all that good when they made it all the way to the final four. And then of course beat South Carolina, make it to the championship game there and then fall to a North, North Carolina team that they frankly could have beat, but fell apart towards the end of the game. But I, I, I feel like I'm convinced that the year that they finally win it all, whether it's this year or another year, something is going to happen, whether it's like an 11 seed beating a three seed or something that's going to cause this conversation to never actually fully die, unfortunately. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that happens to most champions anyway. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the funny thing is, you know, you look at the, like the Vegas odds right now and they sort of imply that mm-hmm. you know, Zag is the favorite. I don't know if that's going to hold up to Mm-hmm. The next week or two like you know duke and kentucky are making pretty strong pushes at the moment but yeah. but gonzaga right now is the favorite and uh their implied chances of winning are something like you know 20 percent or less so it's like obviously like they're a favorite and they're still probably not going to win it like that's the nature of the mm-hmm. ncaa tournament and especially this year where there's like right. you know, this gonzaga team isn't as good as it was last year it's still very good but mm-hmm. there's there's you know it's just a total crapshoot on on who's going to win it and so that's the the nature of it, but uh, people will will use the uh, results of uh, you know slightly random outcomes to uh, fuel whatever narrative they want, and uh, that 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 process will never end. All right, thanks to Ken for joining me. We're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to look a little bit more at some of the individual players on Gonzaga's roster, specifically Chet Holmgren, and what kind of impact he has had on this team. Before we get there, though, let's talk about run your pool. March Madness is only two weeks away. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you looking for the best? We've done our homework here and we're running our brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring and they offer more intel to make your picks. All stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help you take some of that madness magic and play alongside your employees, or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool, because like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing you there. Gonzaga is, is considered the favorite right now, uh, but are there other teams in your mind, you know, from not just from your ratings, but from watching the games that you think, like, who could really give Gonzaga a game? I, you know, like you said, doesn't mean they're going to win. Doesn't mean that they're over fifty percent likely to win. What are some teams that are kind of in that mix that you think have a, have a really good chance of bringing home the trophy this year? Well, I mean, certainly we've already seen Duke. You know, give them more than a game earlier. Yes, this sure. So, uh, and they seem to be they seem to be hitting their stride. It's just hard to tell. You know, playing in the ACC, the ACC is so down this year. Um, you know, there's really like you take the non-Duke portion of the ACC, and it's you know probably. It's definitely weaker than like the Mountain West this year. So, yeah. um, so it's hard to read in too much from what Duke's done. They're obviously very good, and I think they're a contender. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it's hard to say. Uh, yeah. Kentucky, you know, another team looks very good. Mm-hmm. Baylor, you know, uh, you know, they lost their their starting big Jonathan Chamo Chachua, mm-hmm. and so they play like a little bit smaller, but like more 
more athletic now. Like they just, yeah. their, their lineup they roll out there is, um, it's pretty nasty. And, uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, they're, they're in the mix as well. People keep, I think, wanting to deny it, but mm -hmm. uh, they're in the mix, you know, then, you, you know, there's a step down maybe to some others, you know, Kansas, mm -hmm. uh, you can throw in there certainly has a shot. Auburn has a shot. Um, you know, there may be a couple of teams, other teams in there, UCLA, Purdue, but, mm -hmm. but I think those, you know, first three I mentioned certainly can, you know, yeah. Baylor, Kentucky, Duke, like, mm -hmm. seems like they're, you know, legitimate yeah. idle threats, you know, final four expectations, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think it's going to be a really fascinating year. There's so many teams that seem, I look at the, the you know, the bracketologies when they come out and it feels like almost every team on the one, two and half the teams on the three line have a very realistic chance of winning it this year. I think it's going to be a super fun tournament. Ken, I really want to talk about some of Gonzaga's players specifically. You mentioned that you think last year's team is better. I think that's generally the consensus as well. Uh, obviously, this team does not have a Jalen Suggs type playmaker, shooters like Corey Kispert, uh, you know, overall playmakers like Joel Eyei. Those three guys were monstrous pieces of this team last year, no longer with the program all playing in the NBA. But but they're also, none of those guys are Chet Holmgren. <laughs> Chet Holmgren <laughs> brings such a unique... Uh, presence to this team to college basketball in general obviously you know defensively the rim protection is something that Gonzaga lacked last year it hurt them significantly in that championship game against Baylor where Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell were getting to the rim with ease and, and nobody was stopping them um, you know obviously and analyzing players specifically I feel like Chet is somewhat difficult to really pin down uh, there's been a, a very wide consensus on his draft stock and just his overall ability because of his size, because of the WCC, as always. I'm curious, just your general impressions on him this season and kind of how he stacks up, stacks up, excuse me, among some of the best bigs that we've seen come through the college uh, game in the last couple of years. Yeah, he's obviously, uh, you know, a different kind of big, you know, a mm -hmm. guy that uh, is a very good perimeter shooter. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, but, you know, also, as you said, uh, you know, very good shot blocker. I mean, that's going to obviously be a key storyline in the tournament is, you know, defense or opposing offense is trying to find mm -hmm. ways to neutralize the shot blocking ability, but, you know, bring him away from the basket or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, among freshman bigs, like, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, his numbers are going to stack up to just about anybody in the last, you know, 15, 20 years, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a little bit of a, a different approach, but, uh, you know, it does bring up the point that even though, like, yeah, Gonzaga is not as good as they were last year, they are, you know, almost certainly better defensively yeah. than they were last year. They're just not as good offensively. So there's been a little bit of a trade off there. But, you know, maybe that bodes a little better for them, you know, in the tournament, you know, a little more balanced. And, um, you know, maybe it'll make, make the road a little bit easier, you know, that they can't maybe get torn up the way they were you know, by Baylor in the championship game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to talk about defense specifically, you know, when talking about how to measure a player's overall impact, uh, obviously it's pretty easy to measure things like field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, and, and various other aspects of offense. And then defensively, you can measure steal percentage, block percentage, that kind of stuff. But there's a lot that goes into defense that is very, very hard to put down statistically to kind of analyze from, from that kind of perspective. I'm curious as somebody who's, you know, very into this analytical aspect of the game, like how, how do you 
kind of take a, pl a player like Chet Holmgren or a player like Anton Watson, who doesn't have these gouty numbers uh, statistically, def at least defensively, how do you kind of balance figuring out how to rate those players in terms of just their impact on the game when some of it is just like good closeout defense and, you know, knocking the ball away, but not necessarily getting a, you know, a stat out of it. Like how, how do you kind of figure out the best ways to, to quantify those players uh, so that we're, we're seeing their real value? Yeah, it's um, it's not it's not easy. No, I, mean, I don't think I have a good way to do it. You know, obviously yeah. you mentioned the stats that you know stuff mm -hmm. is measured in the box score, and that's kind of what we're limited to on that front. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a fundamental issue really where defense is much more like a team effort, and so yeah. given that, you know, it's there's always going to be severe limitations in measuring like individual ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously, you know, you have a system like Virginia's over the years. This year is not a great example, but in their heyday, you know, they were top five defensively every year and mm -hmm. not everybody on the court that they put out there was like necessarily yeah. an excellent on-ball defender or anything like that. And even if you put one of those guys in a different system, they probably would have been an average or, or poor defender. Mm -hmm. um, so those issues are uh, things that just really can't be overcome. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are, there are more advanced methods where you can use play-by-play -play data and figure out, you know, hey, how how did the team do when this player was on the floor or whatever with these teammates and these mm -hmm. opponents. And that's a really complicated endeavor, and it's further complicated by the fact that there are a limited number of games in college basketball and right. there are a limited number of bench players. Like mm -hmm. the NBA, that system works really well because you have 82 games and you have 10 players playing every game. And, you know, in mm -hmm. college when you have seven or eight players and 30 games and 10 of those games are against garbage teams, like – right it gets challenging. So mm -hmm. there's always going to be uh, a major blind spot. I think mm -hmm. evaluating defense from a purely statistical method. It's always been so fascinating to me. And the player that I think of is, is Anton Watson. I mentioned him because I look at him and he looks so great defensively. He's just a hellraiser on the perimeter. They run these half court traps with him, but against better teams, he doesn't look as good defensively. And I, I, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm analyzing Gonzaga as a whole, as opposed to doing like NBA draft content specifically, but like, I have no idea how he is going to be as a defensive player at the next level, because it's really hard to tell how much of what he's doing. Is it against just bad players? Is it a system thing? And it's always so interesting to me because like, <laughs> you kind of just have to guess, like, I don't know that there's a lot more that you can do. Obviously, you know, you have your, your measurements, their height, their size, their jumping ability, and you can kind of extrapolate some information out of that. But it's always been interesting to me that uh, we can pinpoint so much uh, analytically, offensively about these players and have a really good sense of how that's going to translate. It's not always perfect, obviously, when you're talking about the next level, but it's it's a really good barometer. And defensively, it feels like we're only slightly beyond shrugging our shoulders. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, you if you follow the draft and you read, you know, articles mm -hmm. online about players and, and how they project defensively, like, you're going to find some, like, amazing misses over the years. Like, people are good about, you know, the, the extremes. Like, Davion Mitchell, you know, mm -hmm. is going to be a great defender, and he's turned out to be a great defender. And yeah. Jordan is not going to be a good defender. <laughs> By the way, a guy who, who got, like, a fair amount of steals in college. And so, so mm -hmm. it kind of tells you, know, steals can be – there's a lot of context with steals. But, sure. but anyway, you know, the extremes, like, people nail. But mm -hmm. the middle, like, 90%, 85%, like – yeah there's a lot of air, even just, you know, the experts who are watching these guys on film every day, like trying to mm -hmm. figure out how their defense is going to project to the next level. Like it is a, you know, I don't say a total crapshoot, but uh, it's, it's very, very difficult.
Yeah, no doubt. I want to talk a little bit about Drew Timmy as well. Uh, Timmy has been kind of, I feel like he's been bumped out of the National Player of the Year conversation. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's still in the mix and he's still being talked about. But preseason, National Player of the Year favorite. Now there's more talk about Johnny Tavis and Keegan Murray and a handful of other guys who are kind of in that conversation. Uh, your metrics have him still third uh, in the Player of the Year rankings. Uh, <laughs> my main question, I guess, is do you think people are just tired of Drew Timmy? Because that's kind of the impression that I get. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, he's also like just handicapped by the fact that he's not playing in big games mm -hmm. uh, on national TV in prime time. Yeah. Like, you know, Johnny Davis or Keegan Murray. Mm -hmm. um, so that's holding him back. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, certainly statistically, I don't know what like people expected from him uh, mm -hmm. heading into the season, but it seems like he's, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, meeting anything that, that you mm -hmm. would have expected. So um it is kind of interesting. There might be a little bit of fatigue there. And yeah. I also kind of wonder, like, how often does the preseason player of the year win national player yeah. of the year? Maybe it happens more often than I think. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously nobody saw Johnny Davis coming. And right. I think some people saw Keegan Murray having, you know, like an all Big Ten type of season, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just exploded here the last, you know, month or so. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for, for Timmy to, to get player of the year. But um, mm -hmm. obviously he's, you know, contributing to a, to a very, very good team. And he's, you know, still the, the main offensive weapon that they have. Yeah. I, I think Drew Timmy would quite happily trade another trophy at the end of the year for the national player of the year trophy. So I don't think that it's bothering him all that much. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to get into the WCC and what kind of performance we have seen from this conference this season. Before we get there though, let's talk about bet online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline where the game starts. Uh, I did want to talk about the WCC specifically. We kind of talked about the, the challenges of ranking some of these high-level performing mid-major teams and obviously Gonzaga just dominating the WCC the way that they have lately. But uh, there's a, a subset of people who have continued to kind of pound the drum for, hey, the WCC is good this year. They're much improved. A lot of these teams have have really established themselves as top 25, top 30 teams uh, in the country. And and certainly your rankings have, have significantly favored both St. Mary's and San Francisco in ways that I think a lot of the national media probably don't think of San Francisco as a top 35 team. And until very recently, and really until they beat Gonzaga, most people weren't sure about St. Mary's even being a top 25 team. But I know your rankings have continued to like those teams a lot. I wonder if there's something you have seen with those teams or something you think about those teams that kind of have helped you believe in them as being like legitimately some of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Um, so first of all, the top of the league is definitely improved. Mm -hmm. Um the bottom of the league is probably worse, which is uh, <laughs> an interesting phenomenon. Because I, I actually think that's like kind of if the if WCC does thread the needle here and get four bids, like mm -hmm. the the bottom of the league being worse, I do feel like actually has facilitated that because there have yeah. been like you know in the past if you you know there would be four or five teams ranked between 100 and 200 or 220 or something like that, and if you went on the road against those teams, like mm 
they could they could beat you know BYU or St. Mary's, right? Um, and damage their their tournament hopes. Um, mm-hmm. But this year, those teams are bad enough that that hasn't happened as often. Obviously, BYU lost to Pacific and Saint, yeah. San Francisco lost to Portland, but um, mm-hmm. for the most part, they've avoided those those bad losses, and so um, so that's helped mm-hmm. or bids. But um, yeah, I mean, all three of those teams, you know, uh, have have had really fine seasons. St. Mary's, I think, in particular, has been pretty impressive. Just you know, mm-hmm. the kind of roster turnover they had. Um, you know, certainly a lot of computer ratings didn't expect them to uh, to be yeah. all that great this year, and yet mm-hmm. they're really the same team Randy Bennett has always had. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like super consistent, mm-hmm. and um, you know, slowing things down. And obviously, that really like bothered Gonzaga in the last yeah. game. Where they were just they just took all the transition away from Gonzaga, and mm-hmm. um, you know, were able to, to outshoot them basically. And so, so yeah, I think St. Mary's is, is kind of an interesting team to see, and, and hopefully they'll. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see if they get you know another shot at Gonzaga in the in the conference tournament because uh, I'm curious what what adjustments Mark Few will make for that game. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see. I, we we've seen Randy Bennett's teams do this to Gonzaga before. It's not new. It's still you know gut wrenching for Gonzaga fans every time it happens. I feel like five minutes into this game, I was like, oh man, we're doing it again. Like you just you know. And I remember the the WCC championship in 2019. It was the same story. I think Gonzaga scored 48 points in that game, and hopefully it's the kind of the, the kind of loss that strengthens Gonzaga, this was a, a point that a lot of people have brought up about Gonzaga is, well, they just coast through their conference and then they don't, they're not challenged for three months. Well, they got challenged. <laughs> There's, there is no debate that they got challenged in this game. And I hope that it's obviously as a Gonzaga fan, I hope it's the kind of win that helps propel them. But if nothing else, it helps establish that, hey, the WCC does have some good teams. And I know people were really hesitant about San Francisco and the Dons uh, because they didn't play a particularly great non-conference schedule. Their first loss of the season uh, was way late in the year, but it was against Grand Canyon, which is a, a bummer of a loss. Um, I think this is a really exciting team. Todd Golden runs a very analytically focused kind of set, which I think has helped them kind of adva- maximize the advantages that they have uh, with the talent on the roster. And I, you know, hopefully Golden doesn't take, you know, the next Bay Area Pac-12 job that opens up. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking based on how Stanford and Cal did this year, that could be, could be coming, uh, unfortunately for him. Um, but I, I'm, I'm wondering just overall, if you think the WCC, they're, they're making improvements towards the top half. You mentioned the bottom half isn't really catching up. I assume that's kind of the next thing that they need to happen uh, in order for them to actually get a little bit more recognition and really help those top teams because a lost Pacific is really devastating. A loss to Portland, even though Portland is a lot better than they were in the Terry Porter era, that's still a pretty devastating loss. Is that kind of the next thing that needs to happen for this conference to to be more like the Mountain West or to be more like, you know, they're not going to get to the Big East anytime soon, but to kind of get a little closer to those conferences in terms of how they're perceived? Yeah, I think that's a, a real concern. Um, you know, obviously losing BYU yeah. maybe after next year um, is, you know, they're going to struggle to to replace kind of that quality, you know, team mm-hmm. that gets to the tournament every other year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, what's happening in Portland is encouraging. I mean, they went from like, you know, complete doormat to middle mm-hmm. of the pack this year. So mm-hmm. you know, Shante Leggins has them on, on the right track, I think. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, they just need more of those, you know, you know, one or two more top 100 teams. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be pretty important. Obviously, Santa Clara, you know, emerging this year. That was, you know, yeah. great development as well. Obviously, they were very experienced and mm-hmm. benefited from the, you know, the fifth year thing. But, um, yeah, trying to trying to get more of those teams in the mix is, uh, 
is going to be critical if the if the league wants to you know challenge Mountain West. But they really have. You know, you look over mm-hmm. over the past ten years, and and there hasn't been that much difference between those two leagues. You know, in some some years the WCC has been better. So mm-hmm. uh, so they can they can do it, but it's definitely going to be more of a challenge with with BYU leaving. Santa Clara is a is a is a huge what if story for me this year because they had some pretty serious injuries uh, in December ish and it cost them a lot of games, uh, partic- a couple of Mountain West games that I think they would have won in the non conference. I mean, we saw this team beat the tar out of TCU early in the year, a team that is now kind of you know on a hot streak and it's very unfortunate that they had all those injuries. I wonder what would have happened if if Rankich hadn't been hurt, if PJ Pipes hadn't been hurt. I think I think that was a really really good team that that isn't going to make the NCAA tournament barring literally beating Gonzaga in the WCC tournament, but, but is a team that I think I I am willing to stake that four or five teams that make the NCAA tournament as at large bids would probably get beat by Santa Clara right now, fully healthy. But unfortunately that's just not the way that it works uh, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. You need those quality wins. And you do mention like one, one disadvantage the league has is that mm-hmm. you just never, you never get a team winning the conference tournament that no. wouldn't have gotten an at-large bid, right? Like that could really happen in the Mountain West this year. You know, they got mm-hmm. Mountain West is very good at the top, but there's also like a couple of teams that they could win the conference tournament that aren't in the at-large discussion just because there's no dominant team in the Mountain West, right? So yeah. the conference tournament's wide open, but never the case in the WCC. Like you're just, you know, you're Santa Clara, like very, very unlikely you're going to win a conference tournament just because Gonzaga is basically there to block you. Yep. Yep. I I have stated this before, but never publicly. So I'm going to state it right now. My my wild card prediction for the Mountain West tournament is Utah State. I really think that they're going to go on a run. If they win it, that's just going to that takes away uh, an at large spot from somebody else. But that's that's just the kind of thing that that could happen in the Mountain West. And I want I want that for the WCC for the conference's sake as a whole. But it's, you know, like you said, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just the way things are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. I know it's March. It's a busy time. I appreciate uh, you taking some time. Uh, I'm going to link to your article uh, on in the show notes. Uh, people can find you on Twitter at Ken Pomeroy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Andy. Thanks for having me on. All right. That is going to do it for me today. Thanks again to Ken for coming on the show. Really appreciate his time. And I appreciate all of you for listening. Thank you to those of you in particular who have made this show your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening. Happy March and go Zags.